a great number of other property managers in our market and the do-it-yourselfers that get intimidated by the regulations. And so it's given us an upper hand to be able to go into the market and be able to be the experts and be able to come in and do it. So we've had some of our friendly competitors that have you know, kind of gotten out of the business. There's no question it's a hard business. It's difficulty. It's emotional. There's challenges. There's staffing challenges. There's everything that goes with it. However, I've always been able to surround myself with good people and find people that are willing and skilled and like to do the parts that I don't do. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Muela, and today I'm talking to Chris Hermansky with Mainlander Property Management. Chris, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Chris, I'm excited to talk about your career, but let's fast forward to today. Where's the business at right now? Today, the business is growing and thriving. We're doing well. We're transitioning because I'm uh, uh, slowly stepping away, and I've got uh, family that's, uh, I've got a son-in-law, and a daughter that are uh, stepping in and kind of beginning to take things over. So it's feeling our way along as we go down this new path. Mm. Let's start there. Let's start with transition. For folks that maybe have a son or daughter working in the business, or maybe they don't, and they're thinking about continuity and how to transition, what were your fears? What were your priorities? What's your experience been in navigating that journey? Well, it's always been... Um, a little nervous, not sure how that would ever go. So I wanted to build and continue to maintain something that somebody would, that would continue to be profitable. And I had a little bit of an idea of it, uh, of uh, having a legacy. And so um, when my daughter married JJ and he, we were able to encourage them to come and live near us. They, um, and they expressed an interest in working in the business. Uh, we started to, you know, un- unravel the plan or kind of develop a plan is probably more accurate. We started discussing uh, what the options would be, how that could look. And um, ever since that day, probably every six months, we sit down and, you know, I sit down particularly with JJ and says, are you sure you really want to do this? Because there's opportunities to sell and there's things that we could do different. And uh, he's reaffirmed and reassured every time that this is exactly, uh, he likes it, he finds it challenging. He wasn't necessarily bred for it and didn't uh, grow up seeking it, but nevertheless, he uh, welcomed the opportunity and found it to be something that uh, he really enjoys. Hmm. How long have you been in the business for? I started in 1981, so 42, almost 43 years. What market are you based in? Uh, Portland, Oregon. How many units are you managing right now? Uh, We have uh, an office in Portland, and we're just under 1,000 in Portland, and then we have an office just outside of Portland in Newburgh, and we're running about 225 out of Newburgh. How much of that unit count is single family versus something else? Probably 95% single family. Okay, got it. So that's some helpful. And last question is team size. Team size, we, um, with maintenance, we're running uh, about 25 counting remotes and counting uh, a few part-time highly skilled positions. Something I wanted to ask you is how you relate to the business. 
Obviously, I'm here focused on helping property managers succeed. I think a lot about the great dynamic aspects of this business, recurring revenue, it can be highly profitable. There's so much great. The flip side is on the ground property management can be tough. There's a lot of things you can get bumped up and, and scraped on. I had a conversation last night with somebody that was maybe ruminating a bit. And that's actually overly polite, bitching. They were kind of telling me everything that they don't like about the business. I'd love to hear from you. What is your unvarnished <clears throat> feedback on this line of business? Oh, there's no question it's a hard business. It's difficulty. It's emotional. There's challenges. There's staffing challenges. There's everything that goes with it. However, um, I've, I've always been able to surround myself with good people and find people that are willing and skilled and like to do the parts that I don't do. So I'm able to uh, um, manage that group well, I think. And uh, I just stay with in my lane and doing the things that I really like to do and that I, what I wake up in the morning wanting to do. And so that's, uh, and it's kind of, you know, um, honed itself as the years have gone on to a um, uh, simply running the business and the challenges of that. And, you know, as we've gone into the EOS model and things like that, my natural role has just gone to the visionary, just figuring out what's ahead and where we want to take things. And uh, that really, I find exciting and interesting. Hmm. If you could do it over again, is this, is this the same line of work? If you were going to build a career over again, would you do it in property management or would you do it somewhere else? I have no regrets. I grew up in a real estate family, so it's something that I was uh, comfortable with. And um, I never wanted to go work corporate, and that never was a vision for me. And I never did work corporate. I've always been an entrepreneur. So I'm sure if it wasn't this part of it, I would have done something uh, else. I like the car business, so I probably would have done something in the car business. But, you know, uh, that I, I tried that for a moment, and that wasn't... Uh, uh, profitable or future. So this is, uh, this is something that I really enjoy. So I probably would have stayed with it. When I hear you saying that you focus on what you're great at and you delegate the rest, certainly resonates with me. I hear some who, not how. I hear some Dan Sullivan in that. For somebody that says, well, that's great for you, Chris, but I don't have that luxury. I have to do it all. I can't trust my people. They don't do a good job. You know that whole song and dance. What would you say to somebody who feels stuck and doesn't feel able to do that? Well, I think you have to peel the onion and you just really have to, uh, you have to let go some of those feelings because there's just parts of it that you may not, it's a control thing. And I totally understand that and I relate to it as well, but there's just parts of it that you just have to slowly start working through and deciding that uh, you're not good. And a good example would be is I don't do well managing employees. So for the last 20 years, I've had an HR person. And um, it's a person that comes in, and that's their job, is they just manage the employees. They manage vacations, time off, benefits. You know, we certainly decide on salaries and, and sit in reviews and things that way. But the day-to-day -day management of employees, I, I just, that's not my skill set. And so I don't do that part of it. And then the next part of it is probably accounting. You know, I, I have a minor in accounting and a business management degree. But accounting, I get and I understand, but the day-to-day -day monotony of it is not something that I do on the trust side. On the corporate side, I do. I understand that. And I still have my finger in that pot quite a bit, although profit coach is telling me to get out of it. But uh, I, um, I find that uh, um, part of it as I run the business interesting and 
you know, I like the numbers on the, the income and expense side, that side. Hmm. So you've chosen to delegate things that you're not good at, which I assume also maps to energy. How do you think about um, maintaining your confidence and maintaining your enthusiasm? Is it more about like delegating stuff you're not good at or more about for you orienting towards staying in a place of high enthusiasm for the business? It's probably a hybrid of both. You know, I, I obviously when I get into stuff I'm not good at, it's a drain and it's a negative energy and it's, it just kind of uh, makes it real difficult. And then when I get into the other parts of it that are fun and interesting, you know, new markets and, you know, we bought a small company five years ago and that was a high for a year, year and a half of getting all that going and fixing that and merging it within our, our operation and doing that. So that was, uh, um, those kinds of things were very stimulating and going. And now since we've kind of done EOS and we're planning the future and figuring out how we're going to go into the next chapter of uh, Mainlander, it's it's executing that and working through those challenges as they come across. And, you know, I've got uh, JJ that we're uh, uh, working through his training and mentoring and kind of answering questions. And the more and more I delegate to him, the more and more he's able to take things and free me up to think about other things. And then we regularly review and have our, our one-on-ones and things that way. And when it's family, it's something that you, you know, we separate it very well. But nevertheless, you know, we always are uh, monitoring each other's uh, perceptions of how things are going and, and also looking at opportunities and how things are. Has your quality of life gone up as you've been making this transition? Yes. <laughs> no question. So, you know, and, and but there's also stress levels because I don't want to, um, I'm protective of him. I don't want to uh, put him in situations to fail, but I also don't want to deny him growth opportunities. And that's that's the hard part is because you have to find that balance because you want him to struggle enough to, to learn and grow. And earn it. Yeah, exactly, and earn it. and But you don't want to uh, um, just dump it. And mm. that's, you know, that's the main thing is I just can't dump mm. it, mm. you know. Well, it sounds like a real gift for him, an ideal set of circumstances under which to learn and grow in the business. It is. And my daughter's still involved, but she has young children, and so her place is with the kids, and so... But she, we have leadership meetings on Thursdays, and she zooms in and uh, contributes significantly because she has a, a little bit of an outsider's perspective, and she knows both of us well and has good ideas, and so we rely on her input and her clarity because sometimes we get fogged in on things, and she can bring some clarity to the situation, and so I appreciate that. She has a degree in leadership and communications, and so she's got some training, and she also has the unique perspective of knowing both of us so that we can... Uh, you know, um, listen, and she doesn't speak up all the time, but you know, she's there. And so there's good perspective. And then, you know, I don't want to leave my wife out because I go home and share a lot with her and she's been in the business in, in the background with me. And she adds a lot of insights and, you know, kind of, uh, kind of gives me that balance, hmm. which I think is key. How did you grow the business? Organically. You know, we, uh, just one property at a time, trying to do things the right way and just trying to uh, just stay in our lane, just stay with things that we manage. We, we dabbled a little bit of multifamily. We dabbled a little bit in HOAs. We dabbled in commercial, but we just came back to single families and just stayed right with that. And then, you know, frankly, a lot of the beginnings that I learned at NARPM when I first started coming to NARPM um, were able to give me that foundation. 
you know, and then hooking on to mentors across the country as I was able to grow my network and taking best practices and ideas and applying them has helped a lot. What about networking? <clears throat> Where does networking in fit in for you? What does that look like for you over the years? And how much of, you, of a driver of business has that been? That's been that's been good, both on a local basis, you know, of, of net, uh, with our Portland chapter and getting to know what they're doing and dealing with the challenges that we uniquely face in our market, together with looking at uh, friends that I've had that I have across the country and listening to what they're doing and how they've adapted. You know, that's been always the beauty of being able to call somebody and or wait till you go to a conference and listen to what they're doing and how they're dealing with it and then decide to do it. You know, we, um, we've been able to uh, embrace technology and rely on a lot of the efficiencies that come with that, remote team members, all that comes through NARPM and the experiences we've had there. Can you tell me about a low point in the business? Oh, well, low points are probably, um, you know, when we've, uh, there's probably been a couple of low points. The recession was actually a high point because we were able to get a lot of business, you know, and things like that. But the foreclosures and the things that we experienced there were there. Probably another low point was the, um, you know, the last two years of hiring and dealing with all the employment challenges that go with that. But we were able to backfill with remote and restructure a little bit, and that's helped a lot. Hmm. So, you know, the um, the sales market has made it challenging because we've seen we were high of probably 1,400 doors, and we've probably seen a lot of that go since uh, uh, the last five years. So, and, and it hasn't backfilled to the extent that we wished it would. And so that's caused us to restructure and look at expenses and re-engineer a little bit how our setup was going away from portfolios to more of a department setup, kind of back to a little bit of a hybrid now. And so all that structure has led to it, but it's also allowed us to shed some overhead and be able to increase profitability by bringing in lower cost remote workers. What's it like working in a more heavily regulated market and what fears and concerns do you have for what the future may look like? It's a challenge because you want to keep you have to have your um, all of your systems and processes really dialed in. Some some of our issues have become the fact that there's um, a great number of other property managers in our market, and the do-it-yourselfers that get uh, intimidated by the regulations. And so it's given us an upper hand to be able to go into the market and be able to um, be the experts and be able to come in and do it. Now, clearly, we have a city of Portland set of forms we use and a format and a setup to do it. And then we have outside of Portland because Portland has its own set of regulations and outside of Portland in the other local communities and unincorporated, we can just go with the state. So there's two sets and you just have to have those two mindsets when you go. When they first early came on, we were able to just use Portland regulations and kind of put them everywhere because they weren't that strenuous. But as it's gotten more difficult and more technical, it's made it more challenging. What's an example of something that's illustrative of, of the technical nature of the regulation? Oh, when they first came out with the, you know, every bedroom have had to have a smoke detector. We just took that as good policy and did it for everybody. That was a, that's an easy one, you know, but, you know, and then, you know, there's uh, some of the uh, application processes that we went through. We uniformly applied those, but then as Portland got more technical in it, we had to really just let that go on its own. Have you seen any shops 
go down and not be able to keep up with the... Oh, yeah. So we've had some of our friendly competitors that have, you know, kind of gotten out of the business, but they were, I think they were, they were feeling that uh, it just wasn't worth it. And I think they had other internal issues that contributed to it, but this was kind of the, the, the final straw that broke the back, you know, kind of thing. And well, we've had one competitor that he's completely pulled out of Portland. He just says he won't take anything in Portland anymore. So this is creating a barrier of entry for new competitors, is that To a fair? degree, yeah. And we're trying to use it as an, you know, we'll, we'll take it on. We're ready, you know, so we're going to go with it. But what are the limitations for your other types of units or scenarios that you don't manage outside of, you know, HOA or completely unrelated stuff? Well, we, we, we manage, um, well, we just, like I said before, we keep in our lane and keep focused on what we do well. And then as there's a... Um, um, a new challenge or a new situation comes up, we discuss it and look at the opportunity and then we assess whether that's ready to go or not. We have a BDM and she runs across um, different opportunities and we review it and we, we look at it and decide whether that's a good opportunity for us to step into. We had a big client that came in and uh, 150 doors, one, one, one uh, entity, and uh, we just couldn't make it work because of the... Um, such thin margins and the fact that they'd been running it. It was self-managed for 50 years. And uh, it was just, uh, we just couldn't make it work. With a, well, we quoted them a fee, but they, I guess their response was that that won't work for us. So, but we, we wanted to make it work at a fee that they felt like they could do, but it, the percentage was so low that it just wasn't worth bringing it on for the cultural change that it would cause. I have to protect what I call the mothership. We got to protect, you know, what we have there so that we continue to build it. And so we, uh, we decided to try to bring it on and do it under their fee structure wouldn't be a, a, a good fit. What is your training and onboarding for new property managers look like? Oh, it's a lot of cross training and a lot of, um, you know, we prefer to bring them in um, almost with little experience and uh, we like to bring them up, but sometimes you don't have that luxury. You know, ideally you start as a leasing agent, become a, uh, we call them resident relations and uh, basically working on the tenant side before you become a property manager, but that's not always a luxury you can have. So we bring them in slow. They, uh, they often will even share an office with our senior general manager, uh, operations manager, and they will uh, uh, work real closely with her and just ask lots of questions. Um, we send them to a basic landlord-tenant class right away, a fair housing class, and get them acclimated. Our, our local apartment association has lots of property management basic things that they can uh, go to with Zoom, and uh, uh, we and get that going. But a lot of it is simply that there's, um, they're put in a situation with the other property managers, and they kind of just ask questions, and we, we spoon-feed them and answer questions. And we're right in the middle of bringing a new property manager in. And so it's very fresh and she's, um, she's doing well. She's a little slow, but she's very careful. And so I like that part of it. You know, I don't want them to be too confident um, because that's when they, sometimes they make silly mistakes, but on the other hand, you don't want them to take and be so slow. So it's a balance. What do you expect for the typical ramp time for somebody before they're actually ready to take off the training mills? Well, we have what we call a 30, 60, 90. And so we have a list of expectations, maybe 30 things that they need to know in their first 30 days. And then we add to that. So we have 60 days and we go 90 days and we go through that very well. And we see where the gaps are. Then we go back and do backfill training. And then once uh, 
once we go there, then it's just slowly starting taking off. Probably between month four and six, they come off. And after six, we expect them to be fairly independent. They do need to get a property manager license, which is a little unique in Oregon. And that's, uh, um, it's like uh, a standalone license versus a real estate sales broker's license. And so we expect them to get that after their first six months. But we don't, we're a little soft on it. So if it goes to nine months, we're okay because there's some outside self-funded training they need to get to do that. We reimburse them for part of it, but they self-regulate that and do it mostly after hours. You mentioned not identifying as a strong manager, working closely with the HR function. How do you handle and deal with non-performance in the business? How do we handle non-performance? Well, we, um, our philosophy has been that we were pretty direct, we're transparent, we, we, we review the expectations with them, let them understand what we are expecting, and then we put them on a path of trying to uh, correct and we monitor it. Usually every week we have a check-in then and see how the check-in's going and then assess. And uh, if there's ever a termination, they know it's coming. In fact, they almost announce it before it comes simply because they know that they're, they're not meeting the expectation and it's coming. Um, it's, it's very rare that we've ever terminated anybody on a sudden basis. You know, they've had to do something very drastic to cause that. But usually it's a slow, progressive correction action that happens. Hmm. Do online reviews bother you? Do they get under your skin? <clears throat> Well, it's interesting you bring that up a little bit. We, uh, we pay attention to them. We, uh, we're always trying to keep in that uh, 4 to 4.5 level. And so we're uh, aware of the That's Google impressive. reviews. And so we're in that. I have a, a, a marketing, uh, an employee that she's part-time and part of her job is marketing. And she really gets into the reviews and really tells us. And so we have internal campaigns for the different team members to go and reward them with Amazon gift cards when they get five-star reviews. And uh, so it's a, it's a cultural practice that we're continually getting those. And then you get one negative review and you got to get eight more to get it back up kind of thing. So a little bit of us playing the game and, you know, we don't necessarily do online fighting with people where we get into debating. We'll acknowledge them and do things that way on an occasion. But even then um, we're finding that we're better just to continue to um, recruit more positive views to help sink the bottom ones down. It's a little bit of a, of a difficult industry that you can't ever get 100%. It just, you just can't make them all happy. There's just security deposit refunds that are people that weren't selected when they applied to rent the property and they twist it around and you just can't get all of those things, you know, positive. Inevitably, there are yeah. under all circumstances yeah. still going to be negative. And we're just a real vulnerable business. And this industry is just hard that way because there's just a lot of emotions that go with it. Mm. When a unit churns out, how often do you feel like that there were early signs that with closer attention would have made that? Oh, you know, that's, that's there a lot. And, and that's a continual um, maintenance issue we have to do with our staff is to kind of make sure we're returning calls promptly, providing service and doing that. And it's... Uh, it's something we look at and we pay attention to. Um, you, it, it's hard because once again, you have clients that have a little bit of unrealistic expectations. And so we, we try to match those, we try to match it up, but some people you give and they just keep wanting more and it just turns out to be a not a good fit. And so other times it, it's, a, it's an indication back to us that, hey, we should have returned calls and we should have been aware. And um, in the, in the Google world, they can find out who I am pretty, pretty quickly and easily. So I get those, uh, 
those emails or those notes of saying that there's a little bit of dissatisfaction in one place or another, and we have a little bit of a process where when that happens, we, uh, we address it, and usually um, I'll, I'll send a note. It's funny, the last one that I got, I was able to use um, AI to, to craft my response, and it, it was beautiful how they did it, so I sent it right back to them because it was an attorney that was unhappy renting a that wanted to rent a uh, property and they had some expectations of the property and they wrote this note uh, expressing all of those things they were asking. And so anyway, I didn't get into any kind of a point by point, but it was just a very nice courtesy note and I sent it and we never heard anything back, which is, that was, that was good. How many property managers do you have right now? We have five. How many do, do you think you've employed over the years? How many property managers? Oh, over the years? I don't know. We've probably had, um, 75. In your mind, what's the difference between an average versus a great property manager? Communication skills and a willingness to uh, uh, let things roll off them, you know, not get too emotional. Um, it's real hard when we have property managers that come to us that don't have a balance in their life mm. and their, their, their office life becomes their life. It's real hard. If they have a balance, if they have family and diversions and hobbies and other things, it seems like, or other, other interests, that seems to help them unload and be a better employee. But um, we try to, that's the ideal is to find that, that balance and do that. And then we try to really, um, you know, it has gotten to the point in the last few years that we're um, the office cultural, uh, our, the culture we maintain at the office is, is paramount. We just have to have a real positive environment. We've got a fish tank. We've got a puzzle that's ongoing. Um, there's just different distractions. And then we have a, what I call, it's almost a bullpen. We have a real open area with five private offices, and then they can come out and stand to talk, and they regularly walk between offices and communicate and share concerns. So having that camaraderie and that ability to share frustrations and the teamwork of trying to come up with solutions and sharing best practices is very engaging and they thrive with that. Can you think of any ideas or best practices that were uh, you would describe as a breakthrough or a game changer for your business along the way? Oh, EOS has been a good one, you know, and then um, I think just having a, um, probably the best thing that we've done is we've just become much more transparent about things. And I'm not talking about we're sharing the numbers of money and things like that, but transparent about what, we're thinking about and adjustments want to do it and trying to get group, um, I don't want to say buy-in, but that's probably a little bit of a word where they understand what direction that we're taking. Because we have these weekly leadership meetings and the leadership meetings um, aren't public. You know, we meet in the conference room and shut the door and then we kind of come out and we tell them what, you know, the, our report back will be what we've done. And then we have quarterly strategy meetings where we go off site and take the leadership team and we uh, do bigger things, but we bring back the information we discussed and kind of the future perspectives we're looking at and what we're trying to do and that that seems to help and so it's much more you know employee focused and cultural focused than it used to be and then mm -hmm. probably the breakthrough that was before that was technology just being able to wrap up and you know replace um, used to have three bookkeepers down to one kind of thing and just simplifying all of that and then the remote team members have been ideal for us being able to have um have real specific tax. And what that did is that forced us to um, um, very specifically come up with exactly what that process is and how it's going. 
and you know, and we're a little slower on Lead Simple, but we're uh, working on that and and bringing that into it. And it's an ongoing thing, but it doesn't happen quickly. It's a it's a it's an effort that requires constant effort, but is slowly going. But we're seeing we're seeing success with it. And frankly, JJ's leading that part of it up, and I've stayed out of it because it's not my wheelhouse necessarily. But he's uh, really thrived with it and is very excited about it. You know, and I think that there's a lot of um, um, efficiencies yet to be gained that we haven't experienced yet. What do you think will be the same, and what do you think would be different in this business in 20 years? Oh, I still think there's going to be people and boots on the ground, and there's going to be. I think technology is going to continue to change, and what we see maybe even in the next five years is going to be different. Um, however, I think that uh, we're still going to see it. It's a people business. There's no two ways around it. You need to have the personal contacts with owners and personal contacts with tenants. You can solve a lot of it with technology, but you can't solve the emotional side of it, which you just can't escape. You know, I guess it's a little bit like banking to a degree. You know, there's still a little bit of a part of the banking that needs to be personal, mm. you know, but there are, and we're, we follow lots of industries. Our, our, the property management industry follows lots of things. And it's going to be interesting to see how the realtor side of things changes, you know, with the new commission changes and things like that, that they're looking at to see really how all this comes about. But, uh, you know, I've seen property management go from the back room of the real estate sales office to a forefront and, and leading. And I think that's going to continue to be that way. We're not the stepchild any longer. What are you feeling shift in the market right now? And just as a result of the change in the macro environment? Well, I think the investors are, are, are stymied a little bit because of rates and the health of the, health of the economy. But I think that uh, there's uh, going to continue to be, as more millennials discover the value of real estate versus the unpredictability of the stock market and things like that, we're going to continue to see that. So I think it's um, a long, long-term growth industry and that we're all going to, depending on how it's managed and regulated, we're going to be able to see a great future and potential. How would you articulate the case for professional property management to someone that owns 10 plus units and they're happy doing it themselves? Oh, you just, you, you're just waiting for the next hammer to drop and, you know, just wait till something happens, whether it's in your personal life or whether it's with the uh, legislation or some sort of regulation that comes up and you just forget to check a box or dot an I and you have to manage your way out of that or finagle your way out of it and sometimes litigate your way out of it. And we've had a couple of cases this year that were just very minor things that if a private owner would have had, it would have been really rough, you know, and we were able to um, bring in our skill sets and um, our, our background of attorneys and experts that are in our back pocket and get the um, able to mitigate some of those things. So it's... Um, you know, and I'm not sure we could have done what we had to do this year five years ago even because we didn't have, it's been a slow growing process to do that. But the do-it-yourself owner, you know, that's what I grew up in. My, my, my parents managed their own rentals and, you know, I just look back and think of what they did and how they did it. It was just a very trusting handshake thing. And uh, that's, that's always hard because there's a group of tenants that really want to cater and just rent from private landlords because they just want that handshake trusting thing. They don't want to go to a manager. They don't want to be checked and they don't want to have all those. They want to be able to talk to them and say, I'll pay you next Friday kind of thing. And um, it's, uh, it's hard, but a lot of people really want to continue to do business that way. So there's, um, it's an uphill climb. 
you know, they have to be ready. And generally, there's something that's happened when they start seeking out professional management. When you're working with owners and setting expectations, what are some key bright lines and boundaries that you found are really important to set? Um, well, on the boundary side, you know, there's uh, you just learned that there's certain things that are just red flags as you start talking to them as to how it goes and you're interviewing them and they're interviewing you and you're trying to come up with, um, you're explaining to them and educate them as to why they don't need to be doing certain things. And I guess the chief example, why they don't do their own repairs, you know, and uh, or why we can't have the tenant pay them the rent and they just send us a check back kind of things. So uh, you just have to kind of get them to understand the basics of your function as a property manager and the duties and the things that you're doing. And I always rely a lot of explaining the fiduciary responsibility we have, you know, and that's, uh, we take that very seriously. We work for you and this is why we're doing it. And this is why we have that system. And then I usually get into a whole explanation that we have a system for screening a tenant. We have a system for signing a lease. We have a system for handling a deposit refund and all those things that comes together, all those processes come together to make our system. When you hire us, that's what you're getting the expertise. And until you're willing to develop those yourselves independently, um, it doesn't, uh, you, you're going to struggle. And they, they um, often start to see that light and they come around. But some of them are real stuck in their ways. And, you know, there's a whole association in Portland of, of uh, self-managing, of self-managers, and they have their own association. And I belong to it just to keep up on what they're thinking and things. But they're all, you know, I've spoken at their groups and, you know, a few times we get a little business from them, but, you know, they're, they're pretty proud individuals and I, I admire them, you know, but, you know, but there, there is the other point that I think a private landlord can get away with things where a professional can't, you know, a tenant uh, and even some attorneys aren't going to pursue a private landlord as vigorously as they are a management company. Well, why is that? Oh, just because it's a bigger checkbook and they think they know better. And if they go to court, that the judge is going to look at it and say, hey, you know better. You're doing this. You're holding yourself out as professional. And the private landlord, he doesn't know as much. And we're going to get ignorance. The, yeah. So we can't claim ignorance. What does your own investment in real estate look like? Have you availed yourself of the benefits of owning rental real estate? Probably wished I would have done a lot more, but I have half a dozen houses and, you know, I've uh, 1031 them over the years and upgraded and I, um, I've, uh, I've, done, I've done well with what we have, you know, but I wished I had a fleet of 20 or 30, but I don't, you know. I, um, I enjoy the investing part of it and fixing them up. I'm, I'm probably the wrong kind of investor because I, I have to make them perfect. You know, I like it to look nice and something that I could almost move into or move my family into. In fact, my son-in-law bought one of my rentals. And so he lives in it now as his primary house. Yeah, that probably is suboptimal if the houses have to be houses you would want to live in yourself. However, uh, I hear what you're saying there. When you think about where your experience has kind of intersected and allowed you to guide folks that are investing in that market. There's the cash flow appreciation conversation. How do you navigate that conversation around? Is this a good market to invest money into? Should I be doing this in the first place? Well, I, lo I look at the basics. We always start with the appreciation potential. And then we look at, you know, how the, the, uh, the rent value comes in and has that. And then we always have, a, you know, the basic taxes. We don't, I don't, in single family homes, we don't get into many cap rates and getting into that part of it. But we look at the fact that, hey, 
you know, you could shelter this much income and you'll get rental income and then the appreciation kind of becomes the gravy. And uh, so we keep it basics, but a lot of people don't necessarily recognize they have to, you know, you're going to send me a 1099, you know, and the rental income. And then I said, yeah, but you could deduct the mortgage interest if you have a mortgage, taxes, you know, all of the repair costs and things that way. And then we help them understand too, uh, it's a rental, it might be a good time to do some capital improvements and things because you can expense those out, whereas you can't do it otherwise. Because we, it, a common thing is, is we get people that have been living in the house and now they're going to rent it and they think they're going to come back, but statistics indicate they don't come back. And so, but still it's a good time to do that repairs and upgrades and renovations while it's a rental because it's more easily expensed and deducted. Chris, what's one piece of advice you would have liked to have given your younger self? That's a good question. I probably would have said, I wish I would have found NARPM sooner. Uh, continue to educate. I struggle with what the, the coach calls rugged individualism. Mm. And I, I want to do everything myself and experience it firsthand. And I probably would have said, you don't need to do that. And I would have brought in more skilled people to do the things that I wasn't as good at. That phrase, rugged individualism, actually means quite a bit to me. There is a video you can find on YouTube. It's a strategic coach client, and I want to say his name is John Fitrick. I'm not entirely sure. It's 15 minutes. I've watched it 20 plus times. And he uses that term, rugged individualism, and he relates it or he juxtaposes it against having a what he calls a flexible identity, meaning he was willing to let go of that to get off of that. Um, that video has been really impactful to me and impactful in the sense that like, I find myself constantly needing to wrestle and grapple with that as a leader. There is, I think something in a lot of entrepreneurs, like the thing that made you want to start that hustle, that drive, that will can also really hold you back. So yeah, that reflection really lands well. Amen. Cause there's you just don't have to do everything. You probably need to understand it, but you don't have to do it. And that's been the hard part. But then there's also a benefit to the fact that if things, if the wheels are coming off, mm, you mm, can jump mm, in. Mm. So he is the willingness to do everything is necessary. If yes. you think you're too good for something, if you think that's beneath me, that's a problem. Oh, you can't have that and be an entrepreneur. But the will is different than actually feeling the need to do it at all times. And that's the the tension I'm trying to navigate. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your career, the highlights, the low lights, and everything in between. I'm wishing you a lot of success in this transition. And I just want to say thank you for being somebody who's given back to this community. Well, thank you. It's uh, given a lot to me. So I'm honored to be a part of it. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can check out other episodes along the way. If you're watching this on YouTube, appreciate to subscribe. Any comments, I'm always here to engage. If you're listening on an audio platform, we'd really appreciate a review. It's a great way to help other people find out about the show.